Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 222 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I'm James, back this week, joined by the whole gang. Uh, but we got a, a little bit of a meet and greet or whatever going on in, in, <laughs> in Ryan's house this this weekend. Uh, Paul is visiting Ryan in person, so you two are in the Milwaukee area. I'm here in Madison. How, how's your guys' weekend treating you? I'm I'm great. Ryan got hot ham and rolls, and uh, so I'm in Milwaukee <laughs> heaven right now. This is fantastic. Nice. Mm-hmm. Picked it up from the local bakery, the Milwaukee tradition, unlike any other. And uh, yeah, got to spend a little time with Paul and Jr. last night. Yep. So that was good to nice. catch up with the guys. <laughs> get the whole network together and have a little. little had had this sort That's of fun awesome. modern experience of whenever you meet internet friends in person, being like, oh, "Who's this person again? How do you know that person again?" Um, always a good time. <laughs> always great always great and Paul I know like I ran into you at the Memorial Union Terrace this past summer too so that was that was always fun too so uh yeah yeah so good to be back we're we're doing this a little bit earlier uh I'm on my way to the Badgers basketball game later today as we do this on Sunday so uh waking up bright and early with plenty of coffee in in tow to try to get us through this as we (laughs) talk more MLB Union labor strife and and hall of fame and a lot of your questions so we do have a a bit to get to but before we do as always a reminder you can support us support our podcast network by becoming a patron that's at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month you get question priority both on this podcast and on the reporting as eligible packers podcast i know there were like eight pages of questions after the packers playoff collapse last week that was a good episode to listen to if you haven't already <laughs> yep paul have you have you recovered are you avoiding the championship games or are you still gonna watch? no i'll still watch i like i recover from losses very very quickly i'm i'm actually i'm probably not a good fan like i think you would it would be accurate <laughs> to describe me as not a good fan um uh, so on the one hand i don't get hurt by losses too bad but i do get happy about wins so i'm also kind of like maybe with what most sporting fans should be like my <laughs> my my father-in-law it's um, certainly what i would enjoy more yeah my father-in-law yeah. was the opposite of that he took every loss really hard and i didn't seem to actually enjoy winning very much and i always kind of felt bad for him like well that's not how you'd... i wouldn't watch it if that happened to me <laughs> so so yeah i'm, I'm a very it. like yeah very wisconsin father i think uh way to enjoy I guess is the word sports because I, I know my dad's the same way. Like yep. he just get up and, and curse Brett Favre as he stormed out of the room. But yeah, the, the wins are more relief than fun. And yep. yeah, it Indeed. doesn't seem enjoyable. And there, there but... will be a mini pod this week on sort of the three ways that they can go about rebuilding now uh, or reloading. Okay. And so we'll, we'll have that coming up later this week too. Yeah. Cause I was asking you a bunch of questions about that last night. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, and we had Ian Rappaport reporting that, Aaron Rodgers stayed in town a few days afterwards to maybe plot his his possible return. So maybe I that's mean, a thing. Maybe, but who, there, no, you can't tell anything <laughs> with Aaron until he does it. So that's that's true. He's unpredictable because he wants to be because he's a sociopath. <laughs> he also knows that everybody's paying attention to that and watching that. Correct. Yeah. For my part, yeah. I'm much more excited about the U.S. Men's National Team playing Canada at two o'clock today. I've that's <laughs> oh, yeah. circled on the that's calendar. The other game. Well, yeah, because uh, Canada's actually leading the group. They've they've had a breakout this uh, cycle and look like they're kind of finally turning into a, a pretty competitive team. So I'm very excited. They uh, they drew the U.S in the United States already in this cycle. So now the 
they're playing in, I think, Hamilton. It's going to be cold and snowy and all of that. So that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Canadian soccer weather. Got to love it. Yes. yes. Hopefully, hopefully it cripples them as much as cold cripples the Packers. So uh, we'll see <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll have to get a, a Patreon podcast for your soccer talks started mm-hmm. or something like that. that we uh, do have to do that. Speaking of five bucks a month, you get that extra content at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. That minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. And as Paul mentioned, those Packers mini pods as well. All right. Uh, so I guess let's, in terms of baseball, start with a labor update because we are coming up at the end of January here. Uh, pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in like two weeks, <laughs> and that's not looking likely. Uh I guess if there's good news, basically there were multiple meetings in the last week. So, you know, uh, a little bit of progress there. Uh, We had the players actually, you know, negotiate. They gave up some of their things that they were looking for in an attempt to, you know, in in good faith, negotiate with the owners. And the owners basically said, like, yeah, no, keep going. Uh, They're not moving. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I I guess basically to summarize some of the main bullet points, from Jeff Passan, who's been one of those guys basically covering the updates every day. Uh, Earlier this week, we had MLB, I guess, agreeing to accept the pre-arbitration bonus pool idea for some top 30 war players, but it sounds like they're still way apart on the actual uh, numbers. The MLBPA is saying, hey, like a pool of 105 million, that should cover the top 30. And the league says, how about 10 million? So... uh, (laughs) Not great. I mean, the thing about this, though, is the important part is establishing it as a precedent. And then you can move the numbers around later. But if you start establishing the idea that this is a way we are going to pay these younger players, that is really important for the long term of what the union is looking to do. So I think it's even if it ends up being much closer to that lower end that the league wants, I still think that's a pretty big win for the players because their whole goal is to get players paid younger. And that way they have more leverage as they move into their their mid or middle and later years and will be less willing to accept team friendly, really uh, bad contracts just because they're trying to get themselves some guaranteed money. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think there's actually a lot of good news this week. Like we can be mad about the owners for their sort of bad, bad negotiating tactics of, of not doing give and take. But what you're really looking for in terms of moving things forward are agreements on concepts because arguing about money is easy. Like lawyers do it all the time. And that's, that really is just give and take. But once you establish sort of the framework of how people are going to be paid every time, every time they agree to one of those, um, you know, eventually they'll come to agreements on everything. And, you know, watching those dominoes fall with arbitration and service time and stuff like that. Um, they'll agree to the framework first and then they'll hammer out numbers and stuff like that. And the framework's the important part. So that was a positive step. And yeah, everybody's a jerk in negotiations. The player side, I'm sure, is also <laughs> being a jerk in negotiations when, when they're doing this. But um, it got us closer to having baseball. It did. So that's that, that's good that we sort of have at least some concept of, of how they're going to do this and that the owners at least um, and players have agreed to at least one thing. Uh, that's better than we had. So um, something to look forward to. Right. Yeah. I, I guess when we still see the meetings described as heated or contentious or the like, uh, still lots of 
yelling probably going on, but hey, they yeah, but now with hundred percent less Dick Montfort, yeah. so that's great. That's true. That's, that's actually true. Uh, we I'm, we'll talk about that more in a second, I'm sure. But um, having fewer people in the room is also helpful. And yeah. um, Dick, Dick Monfort getting himself thrown out is good for a lot of reasons, but it also, um, having a, a dumb, cheap guy in the room yelling, we can't do that all the time, isn't helpful. Like You have to empower your negotiators to do certain things and trust them to stay in those ranges. And uh, if you have emotional weirdos in the room, it makes things worse. It, it colors how the arguments are proceeding. Well, do you want to explain what happened with that like, sure. real briefly? We can talk about it now. Um, and yeah. uh, Eugene Friedman brought this up um, on Twitter. So, of course, you should be following him and go check this out. But so when you're negotiating a labor contract, we've talked about this before, there are, there are certain um, aspects that you are required to negotiate about. And uh, the, a lot of those are economics. And there are rules about um, how information is presented on economic issues in the game. Um, this, so uh, stop thinking about this in baseball terms for a second. Think about like a, a factory with factory workers versus ownership. So um, if you go into a negotiation and you want to uh, make the case publicly in the negotiation that you are, you've had some negative economic impact. Just hypothetically say COVID hurts you. Um, and you, you say, okay, we can't pay you what we normally did. We got hit really hard. You have to actually support that in a labor negotiation. You have to support it with documentation that you actually suffered an economic impact um, via whatever it is that hurts you. Uh, Dick Monfort in the negotiations allegedly um, made a statement that they can't afford to do some of this because of uh, just their, you know, they don't make as much money as people think. And I well, think and it was specifically, he said it was COVID testing and security and secu for the players. Yes. And the players did not take kindly to that at all. And then magically Dick Monfort the next day disappeared. Right. And so when, when you raise that as an economic issue, if the other side is being smart, um, they can demand paperwork on it. And, you know, b baseball hates sending paperwork to anybody <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know in the negotiations they the player side does get to see more than we get to see publicly that does happen it's not like a big it's not like the big secret that they get to keep from everybody but um this definitely forced their hand a little bit to provide documentation that they probably didn't want to provide um and dick monfort got kicked out um by <laughs> of by his side of the negotiations because he said something stupid and put them in a bad position well and this is the same guy that so this is the owner of the rockies and famous for things like making his analytics team do laundry during the pandemic yeah. because yeah. he didn't yeah. want to hire clubbies well, or cuts, fire man. clubbies yeah. or whatever. And also, uh, he's the one who answers presumably drunk at like two in the morning, fa angry fan emails. Yes, he does. So the, you know, there's like all these weird responses that are, have like made their way to the internet of Dick Monfort, like basically drunk tweeting yeah. out uh, responses <laughs> to angry fans. So the Rockies are not a well-run franchise. And this is, I mean, you're talking about a guy who inherited the team and inherited yeah. his wealth. And he's pretty clearly a fail son. And absolutely, you know, it's just, and, and the joke, the best one I saw was uh, Dan Zimborski talking about, well, you know, if it's too much for you, then I'm sure you would be just fine with agreeing to sell the club at the purchase price that your family paid for it, adjusted for inflation of $188 million. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that club would probably now sell for what? Close to two? Somewhere well over one. Yes, indeed. 
I want to be yeah. really clear, really quick, since I cited Eugene. He was speculating a bit on that. That is mm-hmm. the thing that happens. He doesn't have any inside information about whether what we just described actually happened. What we know is this, though. Either the players did seize on it and get more paperwork and Monfort got kicked out because he was stupid, or the owner's side realized he could put them in this position and kicked him out for that. So unclear as to which actually transpired, but one of the two did. So that or they were just like, this guy's an idiot, and if he did this, he could do he, other he bad things. He could do things. more damage, yeah. We just need him yeah. out of here because apparently... The reason uh, Kevin Goldstein was talking about this, apparently the reason that uh, Dick Monfort does this is because none of the other owners want to. And so they end up with like mm. the least qualified person <laughs> because he apparently just doesn't have anything else to do. With that's correct. Fail signs have a lot of time. Actual yeah. executives do not. So that's how they end up in these things. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask how we even ended on the negotiating team because when this first started and I saw Dick Montfort on that team, I was like, oh, man, this is he's just there to yell and, and make things uncomfortable, basically. Right. Like yep. he's just the pain in the ass there. Well, I think the owners probably figure, well, we'll, we'll send one of our least competent and, uh, you know, like least well healed owners in there because he'll be a bulldog and fight for every scrap and won't give an inch on anything. I think maybe that was part of why they were OK with it. But yeah, not bright, not not a great idea. Somebody else who's actually competent, like Mark Antonazio, needs to be in the room there and like involved if you want to make actual progress towards this. Though, you know, if Monfort just gave away a bunch of ownership leverage, then that's good too. So <laughs> they need less of that. So that's that's great. Yep. Sure. Uh, I guess on the on the topic of maybe MLB offering some mild concessions they are offering a minimum uh raise increase I guess not they're now up to $615,000 as the league minimum but the MLBPA <laughs> still wants them to go up to 775 isn't 615 like a, a nominal raise basically mm, it's with not inflation, it's not it's barely really, anything so right exactly so mm. MLB is saying hey we're offering an increased minimum here and MLBPA is like yeah no it, it still doesn't work. Uh, MLB also withdrawing their offer to change the arbitration structures. You know, that was also a thing. Owners clearly want to get rid of Super 2 and anything that causes them to pay players that much early. So I, that's at least off the table, too. But Well, I think people uh, need to understand about this that last year it was 47%. Now, this may have been 2020, not 2021. But in a recent year, the most recent year we have numbers for, 47% of the service time accrued by the MLBPA, so by members of the MLBPA, 47% of it was at the league minimum yep. or was at pre-arbitration rates. Because some players, even if you're pre, uh, pre-arby, they will offer you like a slight bit more um, to do that. So you can get just a, a little bit more than that. But that was another thing that the ownership wanted to do in exchange for giving the the raise on the minimum they wanted to make sure that teams could not give more. Right. They wanted to make yep. it basically. They wanted a, it, a cap on pre-RB. Yeah. Right. If you're in pre-arbitration, you will make the minimum. Mm-hmm. You can't make any more. Even if a team wants to give a guy like, say, Ryan Howard, who won an MVP award, not deservedly, but whatever, he got like $900,000 in his first <laughs> or his last year before arbitration. And yeah. like people freaked out other owners freaked out because they're like, no, you can't do that. You can't give him that much money. And it's like, you, he, he, he's he a was, MVP. you obviously yeah, should right. give him lots more money. Right. Exactly. Yes. There's at least some movement on there. I guess 
at least a couple meetings in the last week about economic issues. It sounds like they, there were more meetings past last Tuesday, but nothing on those economics issues that are basically the entire reason for the lockout. So um, we'll see if there's more meetings in the next week, if they continue to move. But obviously still plenty of ground to cover, especially considering, as we mentioned, uh, spring training is supposed to start in a few weeks here. And, and that's not seeming likely. And I think this last week we also got acknowledgement from uh, was it the owners who basically acknowledged, yeah, we're we're ready to lose games. So I mean, once once you get to that point, it, it means you're kind of kind of you know bearing down on your negotiation, right, Paul? Yeah, and, and I mean, talk is cheap, but it's a it is a thing you want to put out there if you actually want to you know accrue some leverage here. Um, you you start to actually inflict pain if you're willing to do that, and. Um, that is a way to get what you want. Uh, if you're willing to sacrifice short-term money and make the players or whatever the other side is um, feel that pain as well, yeah, that, that's, a, that's one way to put pressure on people and actually is a, a good negotiating tactic. Now, um, we will see when spring training actually rolls around and uh, spring training games start to go away, if any owners mm-hmm. do start to speak up in the, hey, we're missing our free money right now, this kind of sucks. Um, maybe we should right. go back to the table a little bit um, because that's one thing the players do have. Like they're not going to miss game checks till actual games. And the owners you wouldn't think they would do that publicly, though, right? No, you wouldn't. Like, that seems unlikely, though. No, they with would never. Sons like Dick Monfort around. Who knows? Yeah, they would never do it publicly. But I mean, that's that is a an inflection point for the owners. Like when, when that's the first time they feel any pain um, is the first spring training game lost. So. Uh, again, talk is cheap. We'll see if negotiations pick up when that starts to get close and they, they crunch their numbers a little bit. But uh, yeah, you want to put that out there. Like we're, we're in this and uh, we're serious about this and we can take a hit if we get what we want long term. That's, that's a smart way to frame it. Yep. Uh, we do have one Patreon question on the labor talk. So we'll, we'll do that and then we'll jump into the other questions we have this week. Uh, the labor question comes from PJ Wessels. Asking if arbitration moves from three years to two years, does that affect current players? So, someone who has two years of service suddenly becomes arbitration eligible. Is that how that would work? Uh, that would all be negotiated, right? That would be decided, it would have to be, right? Yeah, they the would decide where in. the line is, and it would probably. My guess is it would be immediate. I but... think it would probably be immediate. Yes. So, but you're right. I mean, the answer is it depends, which is an annoying answer. But they would they would hash it out on the negotiating table, and you know they would you put your qualifications around who is in what category, and that happens as soon as they decide it happens. But yeah, it would probably happen immediately because um, it's a tricky situation. Um, from the player side, especially to have a subclass of player that's not benefiting immediately, so you kind of have to have it impact everybody. And the only uh, the only difference would be if it's an owner win of some kind. You know, if it goes the uh, the other way, where if they were able to, then sometimes players will will make a subclass. It happens fairly fairly regularly in labor negotiations where us old folks will be excluded from the negative consequences mm-hmm. and new mm-hmm. people coming in will not. But uh, any positive, the union can't really do that. Uh, their players will not stand for it. And so they have to make it happen immediately. There you go. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And something to keep in mind, too, is as we get into February, this is usually when those arbitration hearings happen, right? So depending on when the lockout ends, there's going to have to be a flurry of hearings and, and settlements and stuff. 
handled with that too. Well, that stuff is going to happen probably during whatever spring training there ends up being because there's going to be yeah. at least a chunk of this. I know this isn't yeah. on the rundown, but I did kind of want to bring this up because I was somebody asked me this week, what is the the drop dead date for getting an on time opening day? A, a coworker asked. Mm. And so I kind of worked it backwards and I said, okay, I think they need about three to four weeks of spring training. Yeah. So you'd want St. about Patrick's Day? So well, that would take you back to about the second week in March. If you're talking three yeah. to four weeks, because opening day is supposed to be on the thirty first of March. Mm. So mm-hmm. it would take you back to maybe around the twelfth ish, somewhere in that neighborhood where you would need to have camps open by. So then the question becomes how how long before that would you need to have a deal in place? before you could open the camps. And I think it's pretty much like the first week in March is kind of like a drop dead date where if you want to start the season with opening day on time at AmFam Field in Milwaukee on the 31st, there needs to be an agreement in place sometime probably about the first week of March. That's that's probably about right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they can do a lot of this stuff during spring training. They can have signings still going on. Players just report. And there's going to be guys like we have to understand that they're going to slow roll even more so than normal, which we as Brewers fans are totally used to this. They're very careful with pitchers early on in the season. They're going to be even more so this year because they won't have had the full ramp up that they normally do. So it's just going to be early on. There will be a lot of short outings from pitchers and they'll be using a bunch of guys. Hell, they may even institute some sort of temporary rule to allow a larger roster for maybe the first month or something. Yeah. Who knows what they might do to, to try to make this work. But yeah, there's, there's lots of different things they can do, but I don't think I heard people saying that they need at least like two weeks. I think they could open those camps within five, six days of getting an agreement in place. Yeah. I mean, these guys are working out on their own, so it's not like they need, that much time to right. get really a ticket don't. out to Phoenix. Yeah, There will have to be some flexibility in terms of visas and in terms of travel sure. for people that are coming internationally. Yeah, that's true. There will have to be some some wiggle room on that stuff. But they can work all that stuff out. That's not that's not impossible. None of this stuff is is a, a, a too big a hill to climb. It's all workable. So I, I would say it's kind of that first week in March is the critical time period. After that, you're looking at at least a pushed back opening day, if not actual lost games, because they might decide to then push the season a little bit longer on the back end yeah. or do right. more double headers, something like that to get the all the games in. We'll just have to see how that ends up shaking out. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's one thing people love arguing about more or listening to us drone on about than labor talks, it's Hall of Fame talk. <laughs> so uh, we had the announcement in the last week. David Ortiz, the only one that crossed that 75% threshold. So he will be the lone uh, current era inductee into the Hall of Fame this summer. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling, of course, all fall off the ballot after their 10 years uh, not making that threshold. Although, you know, we did see some increased support for Barry Bonds and the like in the last few years. So let's just talk. I guess Ryan... Ortiz in and the others out. Is that okay with you? Because, you know, the thing with David Ortiz is we had the whole early 2000s preliminary steroid testing, which were uh, basically like iffy tests at best. And he may have tested positive, but it was never proven conclusively. It, it creates a whole gray area here, or at least expands that gray area with PED use, right? 
Yeah, and I mean, it is pretty ridiculous that we're trying to draw these distinctions. I I get that people want to keep out steroid users. And I actually, if people failed a test in the testing era, once testing actually got going, not talking about those preliminary ones, but the mm-hmm. once people started failing real tests, like Manny Ramirez and A-Rod and Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun. Those guys, <laughs> I have zero problem with somebody saying, keep those guys out of the Hall of Fame. They they violated a rule that was in place at the time it was being enforced. They knew that it was a big deal. You can't say Manny Ramirez didn't know it was a big deal when he got popped that he was going to get caught. Like, he knew that's a big deal. So I'm not sure Manny Ramirez knows what day of the week well, it is. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but a point being that, like, I have no issue with that. But going back and trying to retroactively apply this morality to guys from the 90s selectively, while we're not worried about greenies in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, right until the time when they, you know, they actually outlawed mm. greenies, is stupid. You're, it is patently stupid that they're, that people are trying to draw these particular distinctions and these particular lines uh, and, and speculate about who did what and whatever. And we know they're letting in guys who've, who've used steroids. We know that. There's already a bunch of guys who have used steroids in the Hall of Fame. And really what it comes down to is the players that are were the best on the steroids are the ones taking the brunt of it. They're the ones, you know, Barry Bonds is being left out while Jeff Bagwell is getting in because mm. Barry Bonds was that much better and because he pissed everybody off because he was that much better. <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. I, I don't I don't like the character clause. I think I mean it's there to have arguments, so I guess in that sense it's good because it makes good radio. But it <laughs> it's annoying and I would just look at on field performance and I would put in jerks and steroid users and whatnot. I don't really care. Um, but I don't really fault people for not voting for, you know, people who have objectively failed the test also. It's fine um, if you want to do that. It's part of the rules, so whatever, it's okay. But it's kind of stupid Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame, uh, and he's an asshole, and he did, almost certainly took steroids, but, you know. Well, he was also abusive, probably. Yeah, yeah. We, like a serial abuser, yeah. Yeah, the other thing very that likely out. he was, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> very likely he was, yes. Um, but it, it's, it's just bizarre not to have him in there, because if you ever look at a stat sheet of the greatest players in baseball, he will be at the top of most of the things on there. So, yeah, top couple, um, at least. Yes. <laughs> So whatever, I don't, I don't. The Hall, the Hall of Fame is dumb. I don't care about it that much, um, but uh, it's fine to have Ortiz in, and I don't think it's even that hypocritical to have him in and have other people excluded. That's also fine. Well, have you guys steeled yourself for what's going to happen next, which is Schilling's going to get in via the Veterans Committee, and Clemens and Bonds will not. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> Schilling's he's is he a, a user? Uh, no, is, no, 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 he's no, just no, a no. jerk, right? Well, he's he's being left out because he said that journalists should be hung um, and murdered, and because he promoted insurrection against the United States. Right, he did all that for sure. Uh, he's a yeah. huge jerk, but like, I I definitely am against keeping people out because they're jerks. Um, I think that jerks should be in. That's totally fine. Most honestly, he's just an outspoken jerk. A lot of athletes are jerks. That's I mean, Kurt Schilling's a, a terrible person. I mean, he. He bankrupted a video game company by stealing money from the state of New Hampshire. Um, he's done all kinds of terrible things. Uh, he's a bad person, but whatever. He was—he's definitely a Hall of Fame worthy pitcher. Like he should—he should be in. <laughs> sure. I mean, if you're gonna draw those lines, I 
personally, my issue is I don't want that guy getting a platform to speak at the Hall of Fame. Like, I, God knows what would come tumbling out of that man's mouth. Yeah, it'll probably be horrible. Yeah, uh, it would be horrible. Like, I'm sure it would be. And it, it, he is much more likely to get through the way the Veterans Committee is set up now. He's much more likely to get in than either Bonds or Clemens because the Hall of Fame definitely has its finger on the scale. They do not want Bonds and Clemens in. In fact, you guys realize that the entire reason that they went from 15 years on the ballot to 10 years on the ballot was to keep those guys out because they knew as older voters aged out and younger voters mm -hmm. came in, the younger voters were almost universally a pro putting Bonds and Clemens into the Hall of Fame. And so they said, oh, no, 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 we can't have this. So they cut it short. And people have looked at it and have said, if you if you take the rate at which they've increased each year over the past like three, four years, they were going to get in. They were going to get in in year like 14. Yep. So they they cut the Hall of Fame, cut that short. And there's all kinds of issues with what the Hall of Fame does. There's there's huge discrepancies between what are on the public ballots and what are on the private ballots. The ones that people refuse to be accountable for and to show their work and to, you know, put out there for public consumption. And that's really a problem when you have like the 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 big Omar Vizquel thing this year. It was like the difference between the public ballot and the private ballot on Omar Vizquel was embarrassing. Mm -hmm. They should be ashamed that that because it, it really was the people who were on the private ballot were the ones that stood by him much more than anybody else. And if you look up what Omar Vizquel has been accused of, um, Real problem. Yeah. He's also not a Hall of Fame worthy player. He's not even it's close. That's place, a whole other so. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he, he should not be in the Hall of Fame. And you have character clause and baseball issues there. Mm -hmm. On a happier note, shout out to the two people who voted for Prince Fielder. So that made my day. That Do was, we know who they were? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't done enough digging to track that down. But uh, those two people are, are my favorite people. I. I know some people have issues with using those like cursory votes on, on the 10th spot on their ballot, especially when the ballot's like overstuffed right now, yeah. but it made me happy. <laughs> I think there's an argument to be made with Fielder. You, somebody could at least plausibly make it. I wouldn't make it, but you could. <laughs> that his career was so drastically shortened by an injury, and there's mm -hmm. precedent for allowing guys who were really good for a short period of time uh, relative to other Hall of Famers, yeah. anyway. Like, you still have to put in your 10 years. But guys who yeah. are really good, there's an argument for letting some of those guys in. Is, now, it, is, uh, is, is it Fielder that good? Is it Jay Jaffe that does Jaws? Am yes. I, um, he always he has the he has the two ways of looking at it. He's got career war and peak war, and I think you're you're going for peak war on Prince. It's still, I think, not a great case, but that's... Well, Prince that, never had great war he, because he, he was a defense. terrible defender yeah. and he was at first yeah. base. So. You, you'd want to do peak war minus defense, I guess. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing was, yeah. like, if he had if he had been healthy for his full career, I think he easily gets over 500 home runs. And in yeah. the past, that had been an automatic. Now, it's not so automatic now, but that's mostly because of steroids, not because yeah. 500 lost its luster. We also know how people who look like Prince age, and they tend to not get 500 home runs for that very specific reason. Well, and he was a weird one because if you look at his his player card, he was like 162 Every games. Every year, 162 until he games, wasn't. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it all came crashing down all at once. Mm -hmm. 
Now, almost like you, he shouldn't have been playing 162 probably games. Probably not. Year. Well, I don't even know if that was the <laughs> issue. Like, I don't think it was. I think this was like a physical issue of look at his swing, look at his body. He was cranking, and look at what made him retire was he had to have fusion surgery in his neck. Yeah, he yeah. screwed up his neck because his swing was so violent. Yep. But now, speaking man, of which, swing. have yeah. we talked about his kid on here? Have I mentioned this? So no. Jaden is. It is Jaden is, is he now. So Jaden, I think, is a rising junior. Oh boy! Okay. And God, we have Seaver Sheets at Auburn, and I feel old enough already with that. But <laughs> so Lord. I mean, well, he also had uh, he started having kids. Prince did when he was like twenty one. So he, he. I mean, yeah, he had Jaden when he was still in the. I think he still had Jaden when he was in the minors. Yeah, he was very young. But anyway, yes. yeah, yeah. So anyway, but if you look at his swing, he is a he's like his dad. The swing from the left handed side, sweet absolute just beautiful swing but on a body of a no shit athlete like he is cut already as like a you know a high schooler so that is going to be interesting to see i don't know how good he is as a prospect but that's (laughs) it's worth keeping an eye on because um you know one of the top prospects in this year's draft is drew jones right I did not. Yeah, Andrew Jones's kid. Andrew yeah. Jones's kid. Okay. Yep. yep. So Drew Jones is one of the top. He's going to go in presumably the top three this year. So. All right. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it is truly a sign that we are old. When oh, we're getting so old. Yeah. It's the kids yeah. of players yeah. that were around when we were adults that are starting <laughs> yeah. to uh, play. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. All right. It's not like uh, that, I guess it's not like that fake time when we all thought Ricky Weeks had a kid, but actually had just added a junior to his name. <laughs> it's actually the real the real kids this time. Uh, we need more Uptons. Can't wait for the Uptons <laughs> to have more kids. All right. Uh, I guess speaking of young players, let's get to Patreon questions now. We have Mark Podscarby. He's asking, what are the odds of breakouts from Luis Urias, Willie Adamas, uh, Taylor, and last year? Are, are those breakouts sustainable? On the flip side, what are the odds that Yelich and Hira are just done ever being good hitters? <laughs> so interesting timing because I know MLBTR had a thing on Luis Urias uh, as as we did this on Sunday morning on his need to c- continue the breakout for the Brewers to go forward. I guess, Ryan, what are the odds that the breakouts that we saw last year are real? And as Mark said, the the bad stuff is also real. Okay, so I will take Adamus as being the most real of those things because it fits with his history. Everything that he did last year fits in with his history away from uh, the trop. So mm-hmm. we've talked about that a ton on here that like he couldn't hit at the trop. He was a good hitter away from the trop his entire career. And so when he didn't have to play there anymore, it worked out great for him. So... I would take Adamus as being very, very real. And I think Urias is mostly real as well. He is still a young player, and he was a guy whose tools were thought of very highly by scouts. The famously, you know, he was an 80-hit grade guy. like 80-hit tool. 80-hit tool. So, like, you can go back and and say that that's probably pretty legit. The, the breakout looked a little bit different than maybe we expected with it being more power. But that's fine. It... it that is how things go sometimes. And he did shape, reshape his swing his last year with San Diego to hit for more power. So that's not a shock. Taylor's trickier because he's older and Paul's nodding. Yeah. So I'll just let him take this. I, I, <laughs> I think um, he's the most likely to sort of come back a little bit. And I, you know, I slandered Tyrone Taylor kind of a lot last year early and kudos to him <laughs> for actually hitting very well. 
But I do think there's a lot of there's some red flags in that production and also just older prospects who kind of turn into fourth outfielders don't often maintain that level of production, um, especially after over small sample size. Pitchers do figure those guys out a lot of the time, and they are not always the best at adjusting back to it. So I think it, he, is a, he proved himself to be a useful player, but I think kind of what you see is what you get in terms of Tyrone Taylor's upside at this point, and that's what you got last year. And if he comes back down to earth a little bit while still being kind of a useful fourth outfielder, don't be that surprised. We see that a lot with fourth outfielder types, and uh, especially platoon guys, and uh, I think that's not as likely to stick. Um, just, you know, good on him, but yeah, don't count on him to be a major offensive presence this year. All right, how about the flip side then? Is oh, Christian Yelich yeah. irreparably uh, broken? I, this is a tr- tricky one, um, and uh, I think he th- there's at least a chance he's irre- irreparably broken. So we've talked about this a lot at this point, but... Um, when you see a guy crash this hard, um, it usually means that something caused it. Uh, we have, we have normal aging curves. Like if Christian Yelich were just uh, doing a normal career curve, it would be perfectly fine to see him be an MVP and then be you know slightly worse and maybe maintain that for a while and then get slightly worse, slightly worse, slightly worse. When you crash and burn like this um, for this length of time it usually means that there is some kind of precipitating factor. And there's a cause to your outlier here. And that's why I think there's higher than normal odds that he is um, actually broken and something drastic needs to happen to fix him. Uh, If this was just a one-season slump, I'd be all, yes, he should be back. Um, But uh, I think because it's been so drastic and so long at this point that there's a good chance that he's just busted. Now, the, the one thing, the one big counter to that is that he does still seem to get the star treatment from pitchers. Like, he still walks a ton. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no reason that, uh, that pitchers should not be just challenging him in the zone at this <laughs> right. point. But right. they don't. So maybe they see something that we don't. Um, and maybe they do. there's still some reason to be afraid of that swing. Um, but until he actually starts hitting again, I think we have to be skeptical that he'll ever get back to anything worthwhile. So the other thing, I agree with what you said about the the good side of it, the reasons that it, it could <laughs> potentially, the fact that pitchers are still afraid of him is big. I think there's also the issue here of his down year in 2020 looked a lot different than his down year in 2022. We have sure. like two pretty different seasons here. And we talked about this a little bit. We've talked about this a lot before. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> yes. really new here. Mm-hmm. Power but, was still there in 2020, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he would have over a full regular season in 2020 because he ended up with in 2020, he hit uh, 12 home runs. Yeah. So over a full regular season, he would have been close to 40 like that. So that's a very different down year than what he did in 2021, where the power was sapped and he just especially he ended poorly. I think that's weighing a lot, too. Yeah. Is that he ended so poorly and our our images, the lasting images people take with them into the winter are Christian Yelich just being pretty helpless at the plate in the postseason against the the Braves. Not overwhelming pitching. Yes. Not great pitching. It it was fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they it wasn't like you're getting shut down by, you know, the total Kershaw or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Kershaw, Pete Scherzer, guys like that. You're not that's not what was going on there. So I think that we need to be a little bit more circumspect about that, that like 
there's there's definitely things that need to be done. And we Paul and I were discussing this last night. Yeah. Like he needs to get like coaching. This is this is going to be a coaching issue, and they're going to have to find some way to get him back to making the kind of contact that he did on pitches that he did hit well. Because what was happening, Mm -hmm. even during those great years in 2018, 2019, he was rolling over a lot of baseballs. People forget that because when he wasn't rolling over baseballs, he was hitting them out of the park. Right. (laughs) But that part of things kind of went away. But he was still like a very ground ball heavy, like ridiculously ground ball heavy. His MVP profile is is bizarre and not Mm -hmm. really like any other power hitter. He had a huge ground ball profile and just... Still hit a lot of home runs, which is, and he sustained it for two seasons, which is weird. I think a lot of people thought that would kind of crash back down to earth uh, in his second super awesome season, and it didn't. Um, nope. So it's not that surprising to see him turning into just a ground ball machine. Um, but like, what happened to the rest of the game? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. So, like the strikeouts too are concerning, right? Because yes. He- Used to be more of a contact conscious guy, and and that's concerning. Just cutting through stuff in the middle of the zone, that's concerning. Yeah, I mean, similarly too, like Keston Hira, as as Mark mentioned here, I think kind of on a similar plane, right? Except maybe even more drastically. So, yeah. like twenty twenty, Keston Hira led the team in home runs. Still, granted, we saw the the swing and miss uh, capabilities, if you want to call it that, increase drastically that year, and this past year, it just kind of cratered. So I guess any hope there, Ryan, of Keston Hira figuring things out? Yeah, I mean, I'll just leave it to what I talked about last week with JP. And sure, I think there is a pretty good chance that um, he's never he never turns into what we thought he was going to be in 2019. Even sure. if he's much better than what we saw last year, and he'll have to be to stick around in the majors for any length of time, he now has the problem of he he's not a second baseman. He never really was, <laughs> yep, and that right. experiment being over means that the the bar has risen on what you need from him offensively, and that's going to be a tough thing to clear. Now, if he can get back to what he was in 2019, where he was a 40% better than league average hitter, yeah, that'll you can go anywhere with that. You can play anywhere on the diamond, and that plays just fine, but that's a high bar to clear, and we have seen little to no evidence that that guy's coming back over the last two years, So, and again... We we have to point out that in 2020 and 2021, he had very different seasons. He was down, mm-hmm. but for different – right. the shape of it was different. But he's also a guy that needs swing help, yeah, like major-time swing help. So hopefully the, the new Brewers brain trust where they brought in two full-time hitting coaches, and yep. now they've also hired Matt Erickson to be another uh, sort of catch-all assistant at the big league level as well. So now they have like three hitting coaches. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, so I think that Hira is probably everything Ryan said is correct. I don't think he's going to um, be what what we ever thought he could be. And yeah, first base is just such a, a higher bar to play. Like if he ends up being coming back and being like a platoon guy in the future, that wouldn't surprise me. But I don't, I don't think the star thing is going to happen at this point. Um, the one thing that you might, you maybe get a bounce back on is um, he did have off the field, personal issues um, last season. And right. it, it is hard to play baseball uh, when you have that going on in your life. So if you look for a reason where you might get a better than average rebound, it is if his if his life comes together a little bit better. Well, and, and his mom on, is cancer free. Yeah. So, so on uh, that, we're good. Yes. And th- that allows you to focus on your job more. And maybe he gets a better than average bounce back because of that. 
Um, that would be nice to see. It's just, you know, when they drafted him, it was, okay, they got this guy. He's got good good power, especially for a second baseman. He can play second base. And so many of those ships have sailed. Like, no, he can't play second base. Um, the contact thing's a big problem. His power is good, but it's good for a second baseman. Like, that, his profile is just not what it once was. I, I'm kind of out on it. And if he busts out of the league and never plays meaningful baseball in the majors again, I wouldn't be that surprised either. Yeah, JP pointed out that uh, people he talked to when he was in the draft, there were people that said he was he was the one one guy for that draft. Had mm-hmm. it not been for his elbow, elbow. issue, yeah, that yep. other than that he would have been the one one guy. So he's fallen a long ways because you do not expect this kind of thing from really good college hitters. And so they're going to have to figure out how to fix basically, I think what they broke in his swing mm-hmm. and figure out how to get him back in. Because as he looks right now, he just, there was like one swing path that he could do damage on like balls in one sector of the zone. Yep. If you got it anywhere else on him, especially uh velocity high, he was toast. Yeah. Yep. The other thing yeah. that always has had me down on him a little bit is Pakoda's always hated him, and it's hated him for his strikeouts. And um, you know, there's just there's a minimum level of contact you have to make to be productive as a major league hitter, and he wasn't really close to it, even in his good season. So um, it's uh, he's got to get better contact wise, and I think drastically better, especially with second base off the table. Yeah, yeah I saw a, there was a workout video that I saw where um, I, it was some prospect I'd never heard of. They were doing this drill where basically you're trying to hit things in all sorts of different uh, places pitched. And we're talking about like leaning down to pick a ball up off the ground three feet in front of the plate or trying to swing at something that's three feet over your head and outside. Like doing that Mm -hmm. sort of thing to build in a flexibility to your swing. And it made me think of that's basically the opposite of what Keston Hero was, where he had a swing that was grooved for one very specific purpose. Yeah. And if it wasn't fastball there, low. Yeah. you have fastball <laughs> low and inside. Like, yeah. that was yeah. it. And anything else was basically going to screw him up. And they got to they gotta get past that. And I, I know I've mentioned it many, many times before, including last week, but like his swing is materially different than where it was in college. And mm-hmm. there are people that like curse the brewers, Keith law, like curse the brewers for having screwed up his swing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's work to be done there. Not that it can't be done, but it's, it's going to take some effort and probably a little bit of luck. Yeah. Well, Keith also hits the brewers for screwing up Corey Ray, which was another favorite of his. So, I mean, there's two premium college hitters that the brewers have. I don't think he blames. I I'd have to go back and look. I don't think he blames them for screwing up Corey Ray. I think he blames Corey Ray for never like (laughs) picking a swing and going with it for more than 10 minutes. Sure. That's true. I think that's that's more of the issue on the Corey Ray side of things. He hated the brewers for hiring Craig council for a long time. Yeah, he did. Well, yeah. And then, and then he has since like been like, no, Craig council is one of the best managers in baseball. But mm-hmm. he was mad at the process on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can be mad at the process on that. All right. Uh, moving on. Adam Post. Hopefully this will make more sense than to just Ryan. But what, it, what would it be like if baseball teams could only conduct transactions with each other in short windows like in professional European soccer? Soccer teams, if you don't know, can only transfer players in July and August and in January. If baseball teams could only make trades in January and February and then again in July, how might that affect the number and speed of transactions? Uh, I mean, we'd have a lot more action, right, Paul? Well, I actually don't know that it would materially matter that much because baseball 
the transfer window in soccer is fun. Baseball functionally operates this way already um, with the trade deadline being that box and that instigating factor. Like, you know, most trades happen within a week of the deadline. (laughs) Most trades happen like the day of the deadline. And then, yeah, you have all offseason to conduct business as well. And it is spread out a little bit. But not really. Like, they do tend to be clustered. You get a couple random one-offs from more prepared teams and... That does happen, but I actually don't think this would matter much at all. I, I think it would look very similar to how it looks now, and uh, everybody's good at negotiating trades. And you know, think about how this happens on the phone. Like uh, it all happens in one day at the trade deadline. People calling back and forth and hammering out deals and getting it faxed to the office before you know whatever four o'clock, whenever it is. I forget. But um, I, I honestly don't think this would matter. I think that like nobody would even notice if that you if you patched over the soccer rules onto baseball. Yeah. I mean, the- the big difference here, of course, is that in soccer, basically they have a two and a half month off season and they're playing the rest of the year. It's a very, sure. very long season because they start in mid-August and they finish in, in mid-May. And then there's generally some sort of big international thing going on in June. So there's some sort of massive international tournament, depending on the year, going on then. Basically, any other time you have, you know, uh, club games actively going so it's it is a very weird schedule you would have to expand if you're going to do this you'd have to expand that window to a little bit longer in the off season for baseball just because there's no reason not to but yeah I mean, but if you do then it's just the off season right that's to, the like thing. paul's point right like i guess my thought with this is if you limit off season transactions to two months maybe it it kind of eliminates some of the the slowness that we've seen over the last five years well, I think the bigger deal is just the fact that they limit the in-season transactions to basically the end of August when there is some there are some games starting up, leagues have begun and so you get some of that still going on when the league is starting. But then there is no trading, there's no there's no player movement then until January. So you don't get any of those early moves. The way that the 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 current window closes at the end of January that essentially is a trade deadline. Like yeah. that's we're all familiar with that from the US. It's the fact that there isn't through the first half of the season just open transactions the way there is in most leagues that they limit that. That's the main difference here. All right. Uh next question PJ Wessels again, but a fun one, a nice little off-season <laughs> question here. What member of the 2021 Brewers would you want as a partner on the amazing race? So I guess I'm not that familiar with the amazing race and the, the skills required. I, I feel like you need somebody with some decent amount of speed. Is there like wall climbing involved? I don't know. I somebody think, who's quick on their feet, right? Or yeah. I, I also am not a huge amazing race person, but I, I, um, I would take Willie Adamas for this. Um, okay. Because you want to, you do want an excellent athlete, but you also want somebody who is outgoing. A lot of the amazing race, I think is um, being willing to, uh, be kind of bossy on on transactions to acquire like um, methods of moving around and things like that, sure. and, and being willing to talk to people. He seems very. He seems like an outgoing guy who's also an outstanding yeah. athlete. So that's yeah. that's my pick there. I feel like he would just be a force of nature, uh, you know, pushing through obstacles. So uh, fun, fun travel companion too. Yeah, I'm guessing. So there you go. That's a that's a good one, Ryan. Any thoughts? I have no idea. I've never seen an episode of the <laughs> Amazing Race, but everything Paul said was kind of where I was going to go. You want somebody who's outgoing and very sort of yeah. jovial to, to carry things, and that would be Willie Adamas. Yeah. So yeah, 
I'll go I'd with say that. Lorenzo Cain, but he he's old and so kind of grumpy. I, would also, and, and I was like, thinking Lorenzo Cain too, but I also don't want his back randomly given out halfway through it. Exactly, thing, so. exactly. Like, yeah, if you, you try to carry too much, it, his back will break down. You young know, young Lorenzo Cain is a great choice. Current Lorenzo Cain is an okay choice. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, also, kind of outside the box question, Brady Steinberg, happy Royal Rumble weekend uh, for those of you who watch the WWE of all the guys currently on the 40 man roster who would prevail in a Brewers Royal Rumble match. My money would be on the six, eight, 265 pound angel per domo. So if you're not familiar, Royal Rumble, 30 man or woman contest, they come start with two people every what minute and a half, two minutes, somebody else enters over the top battle Royal until there's one person standing. So with that in mind, Ryan, who would come out on top in a Brewers Royal Rumble match? Uh, yeah, I, I, were we just going with size here? Perdomo makes a lot of sense yeah, there. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who would be particularly like nasty and mean. I don't know. Yeah. Rowdy Telez, Rowdy maybe. Telez probably. Yeah. Rowdy, Rowdy has Rowdy a great wrestler a name, so you got yes, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Rowdy Telez right there already a, a WWE name. So, uh, yeah. Going yeah. off the board well, a little you? bit, I, my understanding is that the uh, Royal Rumble, you, you gain a huge advantage by coming in later, correct? Yes. So my, Exactly. Yes. My, I, I believe even though he's not on the team that Ryan Braun would be my pick because I believe he would... <laughs> Behind the scenes, pull some shenanigans. The number to, number thirty spot to have a late entry. The guy out. Yeah, after yep. everybody's all tired. So I, I'll go with yep. heel Ryan Braun as my my. Ooh, entry. okay. Yep, yep. He he might also like hide under the ring for a bit too, you know, and, and come out later. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Rowdy's my guy. Uh, Big Dan might be my pick if he was still on the forty man, but also you know the big guys they tend to be the focus and they get ganged up on so they get those guys out early so um yeah i i don't know rowdy would be a good one i i, I like that and just because it's a marketable name and gimmick right so there you go that, that, that's a good one imagine the t-shirts all right uh next one comes from devin bearwolf says i know everyone hates these but for the sake of giving you guys something to crucify i have a <laughs> hater trade for you do you think the Brewers would trade Josh Hader for Gavin Lux, Dustin May, and two lottery tickets? Is that too much to get back or just enough or too little? Uh, Paul, how about you first? <laughs> I think that sounds like a good trade to me, and they would do it. I think um, that actually sounds like more than I would expect them to get for Hader personally, but I don't I, I like, yeah, Ryan's nodding, so I'm right about yeah, that. Dodgers wouldn't uh, do that, right, Ryan? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, and also you have to define what lottery picks are. Yeah, like, that's good a good call. Like, I don't know what that is, but Dustin May and Gavin Lux. They're good. For so. Hader. Yeah, are, are two good young Already. Dodgers yeah. that they are anticipating being part of the Dodgers for the next, you know, five, six years, if not longer. And no, I, I don't think you're getting that for two years of Josh Hader. Nope. I think the Dodgers are way too smart to be putting that much into a any sort of reliever frankly yeah so yeah. and i think they would much rather just pay for one than to give up wait. talent for one they'll wait until josh Hader's a free agent in a year or two and exactly yeah all right uh i guess we'll continue on with the hypothetical trades because i feel like we kind of missed these this offseason actually <laughs> you know there's not like transactions to talk about we know it can't happen so oh there's been of... a lot of jim bowden ones well at least yeah jim bowden has jim been bowden. putting out there yeah <laughs> just bored and on twitter 
I mean, that's it would make sense for this team I mean, to do this. All of us next gym. Yeah, all of us are just bored on Twitter. Well, so he's soliciting them from fans. That's the part that it's like you're <laughs> you're asking for fans. I mean, I guess he is like um, curating them a little bit, yeah. but good god. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jay Google, your buddy Ryan says he saw a Phillies writer talk about Lorenzo Cain being a target for the Phillies. Do you think the Brewers would move off Kane if it meant just moving his contract, or do they keep him because of the limited center field options in the organization? I did see this, and I think they would move him to move that contract for the last year unless Lorenzo Kane was adamant, like, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. I have no interest in doing this. Uh, I think they would they would check in with him first and make sure that this was okay and that this wasn't going to be a source of friction. But I think that from a purely like does it make sense from a baseball sense i yeah i think it absolutely does it makes sense in terms of money but they do need somebody to play center field too so there's that um you know right you move lorenzo Kane out um what are what's your plan uh you're gonna play tyrone there every day Taylor, that's I guess? yeah not a great plan um so uh, you got to think about what the cost of fixing it is too and maybe they would just go with you know a cheap platoon out there or something like that they do that sometimes they do that pretty often but uh i i I'd hope that they would have a, a better backup plan in place if they planned to do this already especially for a team that's likely to contend i would right. think they would make right. a move if not right away but within the season yeah they would make a move eventually to to shore up that situation yeah i mean as it stands the brewers are still pretty much i think clearly the favorites in the central and you're not going to move lorenzo kane who was good when he played last year by the way um you, you kind of need that backup plan like paul said like unless you're sure tyrone taylor can handle that and i don't think anyone is i don't really see them doing that so i think i think we keep kane around uh until the end of the year uh second trade proposal from jay google he also saw a hypothetical trade of sending Adrian Hauser to the Twins for Miguel Sano and an arm. Would that make sense? Jay does say he doesn't know why they would just trade for a DH with an asset like Hauser. But Ryan, your take on adding Miguel Sano? I mean, I guess it would be fine. He has huge power and they could use <laughs> a big power bat, especially from the right hand side. But like... Paul's reaction right now when you said I guess it would be fine was priceless. So Paul, like, yeah. I, I agree. With, like that's my reaction to that as well. Like yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> like I, I, I will say that I'm not excited about Sano because he's limited, but mm-hmm. he does bring something to the table that they need. But on the flip side, Adrian Hauser's kind of like a a Sano of starting pitchers. Like he's. <laughs> He's he's fine. I like Adrian Hauser. He does some stuff well. He uh, he improved a lot last year. I wonder if he can maintain that. <laughs> right, that is a big question. Yes, so might not be a bad time to move. But like, I, I think that everybody's just like bleh on that trade idea, which maybe makes it a good one. I don't know, but uh, yeah, whatever. That'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the best trade trades are meh trades. Yeah. Is, is that kind of the thing? Yeah, yeah it just eh, it doesn't I really guess. excite you in it any do real anything. way. Yeah. there's also character questions about Sano. He's been accused of some stuff that's pretty unsavory. So I, I just, in general, would rather not have that guy on my <laughs> team, but whatever. Sure. I guess, okay. Continuing on then, we have Twitter questions too. 
in the theme of trying to add a bat to this offense, we've got a Twitter question uh, from Peter Devine saying, since the Brewers need a middle or the order bat and don't have a great farm system, would they be better off getting someone like Josh Bell with the Nats rebuilding anyway for a rental or pony up prospects and get a more controllable impact bat like Matt Olson or Brian Reynolds? Paul, your take on that one. I think we talked about Matt Olson a couple shows ago, and we uh, did. He, we I, like him. I think yeah. we're sort of pro that idea generally. Of course, it always depends on cost, but he's real good. So getting Matt Olson would rule. It's just a matter of what you have to give up to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I actually like Josh Bell pretty well too as a temporary yeah. fix. But same same principle applies. You have to give up less to get him um, or whatever. But. Um, uh, I'm I'm in favor of kind of all of those things. That it'd be nice to get some some power and uh, a first baseman who's decent. <laughs> anything really. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just comes down to what you got to give up and what you got to pay. Um, so that's that. Yeah, I mean, Bell has been very up and down in yeah, his career. Yes, he, he was terrible last year, wasn't he? 2020, he was awful. 2021, he put up a 124 OPS plus. He's worth over three wins. Oh, okay. So he was, okay. he was he was very good in in 2021. 2020 it was a disaster. 82 OPS plus. The so, Pirates tendered him, didn't they? Or just traded him for peanuts? I, f- I forget what they did with him. Yeah, I think it was a trade for peanuts. His best season still was 2019, where he put up a 142 OPS plus, but that was with a mm-hmm. a massive first half where he was yeah. like the best hitter in baseball there in the first half, and then he cratered in the second half. And so, I don't know. You would have to feel good about what was going on there. And I don't know, it, it would all depend on cost, right? It all always yeah. depends on what it is you're going to have to give up, what you're going to have to pay the guy. I would be fine if they just, if they made a trade the day coming out of uh thing, like let's say we know that there's going to be an NLDH. And so they know that they need another big corner bat who can play first base, maybe DH some, and they decided to trade for Josh Bell. I would be like, okay, that yep. makes perfect sense. Game on. Mm-hmm. It, but you know, it's not exciting. I I do like the idea of having Price a well switch hitter. Bam, bam. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like switch hitter. Switch hitter is like short porch and right. We have exactly. not we have not had switch hitter in Milwaukee very much in the David Stearns era. Like, can you think of who's the most notable switch hitter we've had in the Stearns era? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, like nobody <laughs> comes to mind. It's awkward silence. Yeah, I don't. I'm blanking. I'm sure there's maybe somebody. There's got to be but... somebody, but like I don't know who. The last switch hitter I can think of as a brewer generally is Johnny Estrada, and that was like two decades ago. So, um. <laughs> wait, is Yaz a switch hitter? Yaz is a switch hitter. Oh, he is. That's right. That, so, yep. 2019. Yeah. Okay. Grandall yeah. is a switch hitter. Yeah. Okay. Much better from the left side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, for those of you who are sitting in your car just now I'm screaming, screaming yes, 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 like I got right. it. Yes, fine. I, <laughs> belatedly, I got it. Again, we're doing this in the morning. We're we're not quite as sharp. Maybe need another cup cup of coffee or two. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, I like Josh Bell. I actually like Josh Bell a lot last offseason, too. Uh, just I've always kind of been a fan. Part of that might be because he killed the Brewers consistently. <laughs> but uh, I also really like Brian Reynolds, but I don't think the Pirates are going to trade up controllable Brian Reynolds inside the division. Nope. So, well, yeah, I, I know. I know. But like I've seen like the Marlins are interested in him. I think they might just prefer to go elsewhere with that probably get him out of the division just to not piss off your fans because yeah they're gonna piss off their fans with that one yep like big time so yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I also don't think the Brewers have the prospects right now to get a controllable all-star outfielder for multiple years. Oh no, they definitely do. They could they could trade for any of these guys. They absolutely could trade for Brian Reynolds with what they have. Just because teams don't give up big time prospects for for guys anymore. Like that that is that's gone. Like everybody hugs their prospects now. You're not gonna need to yell at trade, is what you're saying. Yeah. No, no, no. And even then, like now the Brewers couldn't put together a Yelich trade today. That's true. But yeah. they wouldn't be as far off maybe as people think. Yep. Sure. All right. One last Twitter question to wrap things up. It comes from Derek Core. This is a fun one. What's your favorite Brewers jersey design of all time and your least favorite? So I don't know. My favorite is is I actually really like the uh, new revamped pinstripes. I like those mm-hmm. a little bit better uh, than the classic ones. My least favorite, uh, I think just the gray cursive brewers. Like there's a reason why they stopped wearing those on the road and just switched to the blues that it just looked blah to me. I don't know. Uh, Paul, how about you? I like the eighties baby blues full uniform. Oh yeah. Yep. Those are my yep. favorite. Those are awesome. Uh, they should bring those back more often and any, uh, any Motra Bame era, um, design is my <laughs> least favorite. Those, I know people like them ironically now, but you know the, <laughs> the reason you like things ironically is because they're bad. So. They're bad. <laughs> it is, yeah. The hipster uh, design yeah. stuff is really, yeah, yeah. It's you found it on the rack at Goodwill, and and you got it for five dollars. Doesn't make it good, right? Correct. So. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? I. The very early ones where they were still basically the Seattle Pilots jerseys, oh, but they right. just changed out Brewers <laughs> for Pilots because <laughs> it happened so close to the season. They didn't really have time to like, we're going to redesign these jerseys or whatever. I think those yeah. are fun for that reason. They're very, you know, of a time and throwbacky for that. But that, again, that is more like hipstery nostalgia crap that I just crapped sure. out. So I probably shouldn't like then. <laughs> everybody had the baby blues. I think we've talked yeah, about this before. Yeah, like yeah. that was that was so common in the early eighties. Like, you know, there were the that entire nineteen eighty two series, whoever was the road team was wearing they road were baby blues. Cardinals had them too. That's yeah. True. So yeah. that's that's not particularly unique. It's better than the I'm I'm like the only person who who believes this, but the god awful Padres brown the poop jerseys. Yeah, like, you hate those. Don't like those. Um, oh, I found another person who who believes as I do on that. That's good because everybody <laughs> loves those for some reason I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I I think that uh, yeah the that '90s era that was that was not good. That was a, a poor choice. Uh, yeah, the current ones are pretty good. I do enjoy yeah. the current ones, and I am also. I didn't have this because I'm not a Milwaukee native the way that you are, Paul. Like a, a native of the city. But I do like having Milwaukee on the front of the road jerseys. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a thing you should do. And I like that yeah, they've fair. gone back to that over the last couple of years here. Um, at least, I think they're alternates, right? Uh, yes. It's not are. on every road jersey, but it's on the alternates. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the city name on the road jerseys as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Uh, I kind of wonder, would the Brewers ever be blue and yellow if it wasn't for the Pilots' quick turnaround? I don't know the history of the move that well. Like, would they have picked different colors? So they were bought out of bankruptcy court like a week before the season started. Right. So they had to patch over the uniforms. They had no choice. They're but... literally, yeah, they didn't have time to do anything else. And so it, I, I'm sure they probably even played some games in jerseys that said Pilots <laughs> at some point. Like, 
Innsbruck training. Still have the nothing else. Marks of pilots on it, but it was just like Brewers duct taped on top of it. Yeah. 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 It yes, it's very yeah. It, it's it's very much that. So it was it was a a thing that you couldn't even imagine happening now. Think of that happening now. Like well, right. a team yeah. just like being bought out of bankruptcy. But I don't think it was that unusual at the time, even though it wasn't like that was happening a lot then. I don't think it struck people as particularly unusual because no. baseball yeah. teams could still go bankrupt yeah. then yep. in a way that right. they simply you know, do not, cannot now. It was a very different world. And, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't the big business it was now. It was uh, you know a, a dog and pony show traveling across the country kind of thing. And it's, uh, <laughs> now it's big business and big asset classes. Yeah. 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 We're not about to see the Rockies go bankrupt and move to Vegas in three weeks. So, you know. <laughs> you know, the Brewers still, like, I think it's one of their top three seasons of all time was from that first year. The Tommy Harper season in 1970. Yep. Yeah. Because I think he had, like, eight and a half, nine war, something like that. MVP candidate. Yeah. That was the, yeah. for the longest time, the only 30-30 season. Or was it 40-40? I forget. Um, I think it was 30-30. He was the only one that had done it for like years until Braun finally did it, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, he was yeah. a guy who had sort of all the skills. He yeah. was, yeah, and the then very he just short wasn't there, good yeah. by the time that they were any good. <laughs> right, right. All right. Uh, so we had a ton of questions this week. Actually, uh, not bad for things still not going on in baseball. So thank you for all your questions. A reminder, if you want to get question priority, make sure your question gets asked here on the show. You can become a patron, two bucks a month at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. And when you sign up uh, either here for this podcast or the Packers, when you get a shout out on the program and Ryan, we've got a couple new patrons to shout out this week. Is that right? We do. And as soon as I get back to that page, I will mention them. So uh, thank you to David S., who has uh, has joined the fold here? Hmm. And David J- S. You say, David Mr. S. Stearns? Possibly? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, it's David. Probably, probably David you. Stearns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be right. There couldn't possibly it's be other be. It's David the only S's. Not that many Davids out there. No, not that many Davids, and S is not a common Letter. beginning of a last name. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then right. um, thanks, David. Yep. And then uh, Jason Tilleronic. I think I got that right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So Jason Tilleronic, also thank you very much for uh, for joining in. I think we actually missed these last week. These guys ah. joined up, and I think they're from the Packers season. So <laughs> Who knows? thanks, guys. We appreciate that. Uh, you're probably we'll not listening around. But yeah, yeah. Nah. yeah. Maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they signed up for like that marathon reporting as eligible episode Get with the eight pages. Sweet, of sweet question priority for next week's show. So oh yeah. Absolutely. All right. So thanks to you, too. And uh, as always, we would also appreciate it, even if you're not a patron, if you leave us a review and a rating for this podcast uh, as the added incentive there, Paul will literally read anything you write in a review. If you give us five stars, uh, that's five stars only. So uh, wherever you're you listen to our your our podcast at uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please leave us that rating and review while you're there. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, and make sure you don't miss any episodes, especially as we hopefully get close to baseball season here and start to ramp things up. So uh, that'll pretty much do it for this week. Uh, 
bit of a longer one for us, but you know, we we had a lot to talk about, and we had the whole gang back together for the first time in a few weeks. So, mm-hmm. uh, yep. thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we will be back next week, as always. So, uh, stay well, and until then, we will see you then on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Hey.